The scripture reading for tonight comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verses 5 through 22. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, on, great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the ground, man and beast and creeping things and bird of, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. And take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this and did all that God commanded him. The word of the Lord. Often the the first few chapters of a book set a tone. Like you might get an inkling from them what the book's going to be like. Wow. Genesis chapter 6. Egad. In the very first chapter of Genesis, God creates the earth, every living creature that moves, every plant yielding seed. God creates the birds and says, let them fly, be fruitful and multiply. It's all lush and beauty, and God looks at it, and God pronounces it very good. If I've sort of latched on and clung to any truth in the Bible, this might be the one. God is the creator of life, all of it. And God says it's beautiful. But, and I realize now this is a very big but, 
six chapters in on merely the 15th page of my Bible, God is already saying something very different. And to be honest, I haven't wanted to pay much attention to it. Because it's sort of dismantling of a truth to which I cling. Here God looks at what God created and says, it is not good. All the world is filled with violence, everything, everywhere. God sees that the human imagination is evil, the text says. God's creation, as it turns out, wasn't so beautiful after all. So God decides to dismantle it all. This is the beginning of our Holy Scripture. It sets a certain tone. What is settled is invariably unsettled. What is done is undone. And this just isn't some human belief system, some institution that's being deconstructed. It's God's very own creation. I mean, who wouldn't balk at this story? There's a sort of terribleness to it. But there's also, I think, a sort of deep sadness to it all that seems profoundly true. The world can be wonderful, and the world can be horrible. Life is gorgeous. Life is hideous. People are beautiful, and people are violent and greedy and mean. It's not all good. God creates this world and says, what a masterpiece I've created. But then after a while, like maybe 700 years, God looks at it and has to admit, I guess maybe it wasn't as good as I thought. But this is way worse than a failed masterpiece because there are a lot of living beings involved. And God seems to feel terrible about it all. And God probably should. I mean, if you have eyes, if you have a brain that allows you to look into yourself or outside of yourself, you can't look at this world and say it's all good. It's not even vaguely true. Do I need to elaborate? High school football players in Steubenville, Ohio, drug and rape a girl repeatedly until they think she's dead and then film themselves laughing about it. Newtown cancer, adolescent suicide. It's possible that you personally may not encounter these lions in your life, but there are people who are eaten by them and then spit out, and they never get back up again. It's not all good. God sees this. And there's something about that that's actually reassuring. God's not some Pollyanna in the sky who insists on the power of positive thinking. God's not a false optimist. God's not a liar. God seems to see that his great masterpiece is not all good. And what sort of egomaniacal creator wouldn't eventually see that? But God grieves it deeply. 
So there are flood stories in almost every founding narrative of every culture, every culture everywhere, always flood stories. And, and usually the flood stories are about some deity who destroys, you know, sends a flood to destroy a world that's gone wrong. And usually these flood waters provide the possibility of some sort of cleansing or some sort of rebirth. And there's almost always a hero in a flood story. What's sort of unique about the flood story in our scripture is there is this God who is suffering through the whole story. And the hero is hardly a hero. In a lot of flood stories, the hero is a powerful king or at least some very important person. And there's also one where the heroes are a mouse and a pregnant woman. And then there's one where it's a boy who was born to a fairy that copulates with a laurel tree. But so Noah in the realm of flood stories may be kind of not that interesting. The ancient rabbis, when they read this text, asked a lot of questions about Noah. The text says that Noah found favor in the sight of God, and the rabbis are like, why? God says to Noah, I'm going to destroy the world, every single living thing in it, and Noah is silent. The rabbis are offended by this silence. They compare Noah to men that come later in the text. Abraham argued and argued with God when God said he was going to destroy one town. On Mount Sinai, God says, I'm going to destroy all the Israelites for worshiping the golden calf, except you, Moses, and I'll make a great nation out of you. And Moses totally refuses that deal. He says, God, forget your anger, remember your love. These guys advocated for other people. They advocated for the world. These were good men. Noah? in the face of the destruction of the world, just picks up his hammer and starts pounding nails. So the rabbis have to find something to say. So they say, God says to Noah, you shall enter the ark. And they point out that this can be a promise as well as a command. You shall enter the ark. Noah will enter the ark and it will change him. He doesn't start out being better than anybody else, but God chooses him to go into the ark where God will conceive him as a good man. In the ark, in this womb-like space that's carved out of the water, Noah will be remade, reborn. The rabbis talk a lot about what happens on the ark. How is it that Noah will become a good man on the ark? It will come about, says Rashi, because he will learn the feeding schedule of the animals. All the other rabbis are surprised by that answer. Really? This is how Noah will become good? Not by battling forces of nature, not by striving for moral superiority, not by perfecting anything about himself, not by creating some masterpiece. It will be by feeding animals? Yes, Rashi insists, because this will force him to be very attentive to the needs of others, very other others. What sort of food does a kangaroo need? How on earth do you feed a locust? How do you give a bath to a snake? In the ark, Noah will learn how to care for the needs of others, 
He will have to deal intimately with his family and the animals, with their shit and their appetites. The ark is a place where Noah will learn kindness. He will need to be attentive in a way that requires curiosity, a curiosity which leads to a tender concern. He will learn love, which is something that hasn't actually been mentioned in the text yet. It's within this intimate space of the ark that Noah becomes a new sort of person. And God, through this whole ordeal, becomes different too. The flood gushes and subsides. God's been in pain, rebirthing creation. But now the ark of the door, the door of the ark bursts open. And every living beast that swarms increased, every beast, every bird, everything that moves upon the earth tumbles out of this womb-like space. And you know what? It's still not all good. It's kind of a mess. Slightly smelly. The people haven't showered. It isn't all pretty. There's pigs and roaches and mosquitoes. And there's the afterbirth. And God still sees that the imaginations of human are capable of evil. But it's as if God isn't concerned anymore with some sort of perfection, some sort of masterpiece. God decides instead to love. This is a decisive move. It's quite a different thing, really, quite a different thing than pronouncing something to be objectively good or objectively beautiful. God no longer requires this of his creation. There's no such thing. What there is, is the subjective decision to love. And the whole ark ordeal man and God learn the sort of curious, tender concern that makes for redemption, kindness, love. Now, instead of pronouncing his masterpiece good, God makes a covenant with Noah, a promise that now, no matter what, no matter how bad things get, no matter how much suffering is involved, God will be bound to her creation in love. It's painful to love, perhaps more difficult than that initial act of creation. But as God watches God's creation crest, thrust from this, alt, this intimate, life-sustaining place, this is the path that God chooses. 